said they, they, they did not think Paul was acting like an apostle. And so they didn't have to listen to him as an apostle. It was very common at this time for a teacher who was respected, that teacher would be supported by someone else. Someone else would pay the bills. Either he would have a wealthy patron who would allow him to live, or be supported by the church or by some other institution. Paul was not supported in either way. Paul had no wealthy patron paying his bills, and the church of Corinth wasn't supporting him either. They were saying, Paul, you don't look like an apostle because of your finances. Paul was a laborer. Paul was a worker. Paul was a, was a tent maker. And we still use that phrase today when we describe someone who is engaged in the ministry while working in other work, we say it's a tent-making ministry. He's doing regular work while doing the work of the ministry. Paul was the original tent-making minister. That's what he did. And so they said, Paul, look, you don't look like an apostle. We don't have to listen to you as an apostle. And yet Paul says, am I not an apostle? He claimed he was. He goes on, have I not seen the Lord? One of the, one of the qualifications of an apostle is that they had seen the risen Christ. Now, kids, when did Paul see Christ? He didn't live near Jesus when Jesus was teaching. He was not one of the 12 disciples. And yet he says, have I not seen the Lord? I have seen the Lord. He wasn't there at Jesus' crucifixion. He wasn't there as a witness to the resurrection. But Paul had seen Jesus. You remember in Paul's conversion, when he is on the road and before him, all of a sudden he sees this glorious light and he hears this voice. And what does that voice say? That voice says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And when, when, uh, when, when the, uh, the man comes to let the, the, his, uh, his blindness go away, he says to Paul, Jesus appeared to you. The one who appeared to you sent me to you now to remove your blindness. Paul had seen the Lord in his conversion. Yes, he was qualified to be an apostle. Have I not seen the Lord? He goes on, and are you not my workmanship in the Lord? The church was founded on the apostolic truth. And that was certainly true for the Corinthian church. Paul had established this church. He knew this church. He was their founder. And so he says, he says you are my workmanship in the Lord. If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. You should know it. You are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The fact that you are a church proves I'm an apostle. Yes, you are my evidence. Paul brings this defense. They were charging. He was not an apostle. The, uh, the result of that, they would not have to listen to him. But he brings this necessary defense. I am an apostle. I have seen the Lord. And you yourself are the proof of my apostleship. He goes on to say in verse 4, 
starting with verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? If I'm an apostle, I have certain rights. And yes, I do have the right to be supported by others. Do I not have the right to take a believing wife as to the other apostles and brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Do I not have the right to have my family supported? Yes, I do. Now, there's so many questions asked in this chapter, and some of them um, assume a positive answer. Some of them assume a negative answer. You can tell that by the way the question is asked uh, in the original languages. So in these questions, Paul assumes the answer is yes. Do I have the right to eat and drink? Of course I do. Do I have the right to my family supported? Of course I do. Or, he says, is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? No, he says, we have the right as an apostle. I have the right to be supported. You're saying I don't look like an apostle because I'm not supported. I have that right. I could be supported. He goes on to give some analogies. He says, Verse 7, or who serves as a soldier at his own expense? No, a soldier is paid by the king or a soldier is paid by the commander. A soldier doesn't pay for himself. Someone else provides for him. He goes on, another analogy. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Of course, a farmer works expecting to share in the produce. Of course, they have the right to, to garner what they've grown, what they've, what they've harvested. Of course they have these rights. And Paul says, and do I say these things only on human authority? No. Does not the law say the same? Yes, of course it does, he is saying. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. The process of threshing grain, separating the whole from the, uh, all the other materials. Often that would be done by laying that grain out on the ground and having an ox walk over it. It would separate the grain from the chaff. And when they did that, uh, the ox gets a little bit hungry. You know, he just puts his head down and he takes a couple bites of grain. And Paul says, that's okay. The law of God even says that's okay. Don't muzzle the ox. He has the right to self-support uh, when he's working in this way. The right to be supported by what's around him. Paul, Paul gives a number of examples, again, just very quickly, verse 13 and 14. Do you not know that those who are employed at the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Paul clearly demonstrates, I have rights as an apostle. Yes, I have the right to be supported by others. You're claiming I'm not an apostle because I'm not doing that. I have that right, Paul says. It's a right that belongs to me. But he goes on to say, yes, I have the right to be supported. I have also the right not to exercise my right. I have the right to restrain myself. Verse 12, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. And verse 15, but I have made no use of my rights. I have these rights, but I'm not using them. And he says, don't, be, uh, don't be misunderstand me here. 
nor am I writing these things to secure such provision. I'm not writing to say you should give me money. You're saying you're not an apostle because you're not supported by somebody else. I'm not saying you should support me, Paul says. This is not a missionary asking for money. He says, I have the right not to be supported. I have the right to support myself. I'm not trying to change things, but you need to, even the way I conduct my ministry, recognize my authority. Again from verse 15. For he says, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul says, I have the right to be provided for. I have the right to all of these things. I am an apostle. You should listen to me. When I say flee from idolatry, that comes with full apostolic weight. But my desire, my desire is not to exercise my rights. My desire is to serve, to serve our God. Verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no bound for, ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul had that, that burning desire to share the gospel free and without charge to anyone. He says, that's my desire. I have that burning desire to share this gospel. I am, I am called by God. I'm constrained by God to bring this message. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul not only had what we call the, uh, the internal call of the gospel, the external call. God himself called him. When a, when a, a young man uh, desires to, to pursue the gospel ministry, uh, we often recognize he has an internal call an internal desire to preach the Word of God. But that internal desire must be confirmed by the external call of the church. And that's every seminarian's prayer, that as they have this internal desire to preach the Word of God, God would confirm that call by a church calling them to come into ministry. Well, God himself called the Apostle Paul. Not only that internal desire because of his conversion to preach, but the call of God to preach the glories of the gospel. Paul says, I've been entrusted with this glorious gift. And yes, while I could exercise my rights, I desire to do this freely for everyone. Verse 17, For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a stewardship. Paul says, I'm a steward of this gift. I'm a steward of the gospel. And so, he goes on in verse 18, what then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. I want to present the gospel freely. I want to present the gospel unhindered. I don't want anyone saying they own me or I owe them. I present the gospel free, without charge, without exercising my rights. And that, that freedom that Paul desired to express is, is inherent in the gospel itself. 
The gospel is that free gift of God. Nothing we have purchased, nothing we have earned. It is a gospel freely given. It is a gospel freely preached. Remember the context of chapter 8. They were talking about using their own rights in eating the meat sacrificed to idols. Paul says, it's not your rights, it's not knowledge, it's love for others and love for God. And he now fleshes that out in his own ministry. He says, in my own ministry, I don't exercise my rights. He ended up chapter 18, chapter 8, verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest my brother stumble. I won't exercise my rights. And he goes on to explain that for us. Even in my work as an apostle, I do this without obligation to anyone. Paul, as we heard this morning, lived the gospel. It was so a part of who he was. And he says, I do this freely. I do this without charge. His ministry was a mirror of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He came and freely gave up his rights for others. He gave up the right to retain the glory, the fellowship, the eternal fellowship that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had from, from time immemorial, from all eternity. He gave up that intimate fellowship, not holding on to his rights, but freely giving that up and coming down to earth willingly taking on human form, not exercising his right to remain with God in heaven forever, but giving up that glory. He, as we said last time, he emptied himself. He gave up. He took on servanthood for the sake of others. And he did this. He did this for those who were at enmity with him. Not for those who were seeking after him, desiring him. He came and he gave up himself for those who were lost, for those who were dead in their transgressions and their sins. Jesus gave up his rights. He emptied himself for such as them. He emptied himself for such as us. We who are fallen, we who are sinful, we who stand in need of that forgiveness, that washing, that cleansing. And so that's the glorious truth, the glorious gospel that Paul wants to bring. That's that same gospel that we bring this evening. That, that left to ourselves, we know we would never turn to God, we'd never seek after Him, yet God comes seeking us. God comes and He calls to us once again this evening, with the apostolic authority of the Word of God. Come unto me, all you who are, are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. God calls this evening again from His Word to turn away from our sin, to turn away from the deadness of our lives and to embrace Jesus Christ, that one who gave up all of His rights that we might have life in Him the one who we once again tonight declare freely, freely without charge. The gospel and the gift of the gospel is a free gift, but it was not a cheap gift. We must never confuse those two. 
Yes, the gospel is freely given, but it was costly. Costly to God. Costing Him the life of His own Son. Costly to Christ, giving up the glories of heaven and living among sinful men and women. Yes, the call of the gospel is free, freely given, but it was never cheap. It cost God His Son, it cost Christ His blood that we might have new life, new life in Him. Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? I am. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ, and I come to you with full apostolic authority, telling you how how I, mirroring Christ, have given up my, my rights, with the implication that we too, We, too, should give up our own rights. Again, that's in in the connection with chapter 8. Give up your knowledge. Live an ethic based on love. Love for God, love for His people. And in this, we will see the glory of God manifest in the church as we live in a way that recognizes what we have received, we have received freely. And that truth allows us to freely live in a way that follows our God, even if it means giving up my rights, freely living to serve our God and to serve others. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you for your holy word, a word where you instruct us, a word where we learn from the Apostle Paul how he lived, how he reflected Christ, and how we are to be willing to give up anything to do the same. Thank you, O God, for the free gift of salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ, that we did not buy it, we did not earn it. You came to us who were fallen and sinful and freely shed your grace upon us. May we, Lord God, live in a way that reflects this glorious gift. May our lives, too, mirror this desire to serve you and to serve others, not to hold so fastly to our rights, to what we deserve, but to give up ourself for your sake and for the sake of your people. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn to number 533 in the Trinity Psalter. Number 533, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. We'll sing all four verses, 533. Let's stand together as we sing.
receive the parting blessing of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.